Cowabunga dudes! Uh, hey there, it's Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you are listening to Grail Hunters Australia podcast with my friends Neville, Ben, and Michael. It's awesome. It's gonna be the best show ever! Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Grail Hunters Australia Podcast. We've got a few great episodes lined up for you and as of Episode 1, you can also find us on YouTube. All our videos will be streaming there, whether it's Zoom meetings or one day when we're eventually out of COVID, in person with all our friends and all our guests. Hello and welcome to another episode of Season 3. we got Tad. Tad, bonus points for Ben, if Ben can pronounce your surname. Ben, go for it. Shavolsky. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, can you pronounce okay. your surname? <laughs> God, I hope so. After all these years, Pietrzykowski. Pietrzykowski. Ah, the thing is, right? So, so the, the, the comic guys are an incestuous bunch, and we buy and sell comics to each other all the time. And whenever I write his surname, I get like halfway and I go and get a beer. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to take a break and come back. It's, uh, well, when, it's I was, when, I was five, when I was five years old, um, people ask me, how do you spell your surname? And I could only get as far, get as, far as the, uh, well, I only could get as far as P-I-E-T-R-Z-Y and then I would stop. Yeah, yeah. And then after, you know, like maybe when I was six or so, I managed to, you know, mount that curb and got got on with the rest of it, K-O-W-S-K-I. But, hey, you know, we all have our I, I think I think I've sent sent you mail with just any at the Y as well. Because it sounds like it sounds like off it sounds like a word completed, Pietri. So that's good enough. Mm. So what is, that, is that, what's the deep origin of that? Is that like Eastern European? Is are you like my dad was Polish. Yeah. In yeah, fact okay. if you if you go on YouTube and uh type in uh Zbigniew Pietrzykowski, um who's actually a very famous um Polish boxer. Ah. Uh, at, against Cassius Clay. That's my uncle boxing Clay in the 1960 Rome Olympics. Crazy. Wow. And I worked out about I must mm. have been about five months old when when that match happened. So I'd like to think that maybe my uncle would have got the news from Australia that he had a new nephew. Yeah, yeah, watching him watching him fight mm. on YouTube 30 years later. 60 years later. But anyway, let's step back. Yeah. Let's say, sorry, I, I got distracted by your surname because uh, I always wonder how to pronounce it when I write it. <laughs> That's um, all right. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, obviously, 99% of people who listen to our podcast would know who you are anyway. Um, mm. So we don't have Mike tonight, so you're going to have to fill in and um, <laughs> try and be as funny as he is. He's not funny, so you'll... <laughs> you'll you'll breeze it in don't worry <laughs> this is what you get mike this is what you get who are we kidding he's not doing catch-up homework that's for sure yes 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 <laughs> now i know you've been you've been on some of our episodes before you were on the state of origin ones which is a little bit different to our normal chats and catch-ups and stuff so um it it is pretty casual and pretty loose i don't feel like you're being interrogated and uh, if you want to deviate off the subject and talk about anything else, go for it because we're not that interesting anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'm I'm just jazzed to be on here, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's nice yeah. to um, rub shoulders with other uh, other collectors and that. And you know, 
thankfully the the beauty of zoom conferencing is during this during this horrid time that we've had of lockdown and everything that it's been we've found a way to still socialize and i oh, think that's exactly, important. Man. yeah as, as you know neville uh, yeah. every week i i'm i'm on the eagle club with yeah uh, all the other um aussie comic collect yeah. uh, aussie comic, comic creators, creators i should say yeah and, and that's a great little that's a great catch up to you know when i try and i try and make it when i can and mm. it's also it alternates between comic creators so ben the thing is you get on there uh people drop in and out as you talk so whether you're there for half an hour or two hours the cost you might end with is not necessarily the cost that started the call um and and it's a quite a range man it's there's no fucking pomp or exclusivity about it it's creators from 30 40 years ago you get new guys joining in um they allowed me on there so fucking it shows you where that they don't really have a lot of uh standard. <laughs> the bar is low <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. first time i joined hey, i just juggled i, I, just so that I get i get in there and so does Bo. so yeah, yeah. you know i rest no, my it's, case it's, it's 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 a it's a really really strong reflection of um just the cohesiveness of the creative community in Australia. And yeah. it's it's something that people kind of don't know is there. And But I do think that we'll probably get that to, to that later in the podcast, but it's something that kind of will translate into how comics are going to be published and stories are going to be told moving forward because you get... If, if I can... Yeah, sorry, go on. No, because you get all these, these creators working together towards common outcomes rather than a single story and a single product and a single outcome that every person's got in mind, which is a bigger well, picture thing, right? Interesting thing about all of this, there was none of this social networking 40 years ago. In fact, it all really started when I released that first Dark Nebula book in 82, and that's when the first connections were made. I mean, I was already mates with Glenn Lumsden. We'd been trading comics in school, and I'd been seeing his artwork, and he was seeing mine. And yeah, you know, he knew I had done. So he was always he was Mal- he, he was uh, Sydney back then. Was he Sydney based? Mm. Yeah, Sydney okay. boy. Yeah, uh, and um, I was enjoying grade five at the time. Just to catch you. <laughs> <laughs> well, was go. this 1982? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 1982. Well, 1981 was when um, when I was working on the graphic novel, but uh, 82. That's when the connections started being made because. Steve Smith, who had uh, Comic Kingdom at the time, uh, Gary Challoner walked into Comic Kingdom and asked him, did he know of anyone who was doing a comic? And he said, yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. And he put Gary in touch with me. Well, I'd already known Glenn. Um, Glenn was doing the HSC the year I was putting the book together, which was 81. Yeah. But 82, when I met Gary, I everything was at the printer's. And there was not, there wasn't even a sketch of Dark Nebula. There, here I'm trying to tell him about what it is, yeah, and yeah. I just had nothing because everything uh, was at the printers. It was hilarious. But then after that, all the connections started being made. Jason Paulus, who was age 12 at the time, he dropped me a line to ask me, is there anything I could tell him about putting comics together? And despite everything I uh, I told him, <laughs> he still managed to find you know, get, get, find out something about it. But you know, it's really cool. And, ja- and Jason's on your uh, on issue nine, right? Well, actually, Jason came out this year. He is in issue nine, but he was the series regular from issues six through to eight. 
All right. of Dark Nebula. So seven years That's after crazy he to wrote think, that eh? letter, as a twelve-year-old series artist on Dark Nebula. Yeah, wow. Jesus. When I was twelve, I was just writing Pamela Anderson letters. I never got anything back. Mm. Yeah. Pretty sure I still <laughs> shit my pants. That's another story. But anyway, just just so you know that all of this that we're talking about with the Eagle Club, all the networking and everything, yeah, yeah. it all had to start somewhere. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I mean, the, the fellow who was who was really um, pioneering and uh, literally um, hacking his way through the scrub before me was Gerald Carr with brainmaster and vixen and vampire and all of that stuff so that's not lost on me it might have been that the dark nebula the graphic novel in 82 yeah. might have been the ignition point for everything that followed but i'm not it's not lost on me on who came before me but yeah for sure none of the social networking existed then but yeah. look at all the social but, but, networking but, but we've got now yeah oh. and and do you think i do you think uh, it's probably assumed that um the the power that it brings and the exponentiality that it brings to to be able to create stuff and then you add technology to it you know digital coloring and short run digital printing that's turned around in three days you were saying just now that um, you know back then you were sending books to the printer how long did it take you to compile a file or did you send a, a prototype did you send a physical copy to them and wait like with Weeks the very first back. graphic novel, yeah. I actually handed them the artwork. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they had there was no bromides or anything. Yeah. They they literally had to do all the cameras and ca camera shots and all the rest of that, create their bromides, create their plates. That's what happened with the eighty two graphic yeah. novel. And that, what was the turnaround uh, time for that? Oh, turnaround time was uh, maybe a, a month or two. There's a funny little story about that because uh, they they were printing the federal comics. DC reprints at the time, oh, yeah, yeah. and they knew. Oh, looked at comics and went, okay, comics. We're doing it on cheap shit paper. Um, so, and they just really didn't care about it. But with my book, uh, the reason why it endures is simply that I wanted a higher grade GSM paper, both on the interior and for the cover. Now, when the print was kind of unheard of back then, even for bigger mm. publishers, man. Yeah. When, when the printer, uh, the guy doing the print job for the cover took took a look at it, he just thought, all oh, right, comic, and he loaded up the wrong paper. He loaded up the cheap shit Federal Comics tissue paper oh, yeah. that you could blow oh. your nose with and the cover would just disintegrate. Well, they tried ben, to ben, sell ben, me. Just for reference for Ben, I think you've handed me a few. Remember, you, you got a few during or just before lockdown, about seven or eight Australian reprint comics and you gave it to me and you could see mm -hmm. the brittleness of the paper like you open mm -hmm. it up and they chip away and like finding anything that's over a good or a two out of ten grade in those comics would be amazing and then they haven't even been manhandled it's just like they were literally printed on fucking toilet paper. it's just entropy entropy trying to claim yeah, a shit yeah. a shit yeah, product here precisely well anyway he 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 saw it was a comic so he printed it on the cheap shit paper and they tried to buy me off they said oh look we'll give you three hundred dollars uh discount if you settle for this paper and i said i'll get back to you and i stopped and i thought about it i thought no i want this book to last so i rang them and said sorry um I, I wanted on the proper on what i paid for yeah uh, what i'm paying for and so they had to pulp ten thousand covers wow yeah but i got what i got and that's why yeah unless someone so if it's printed you know, to last, used, why can't used I get my book as a done as dunny paper in a 
sheltered workshop or anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that, then so you do, know do they, you think, they last pretty well. Yeah. So do you think somewhere there's that box of unopened number ones on shitty paper? Oh no, no, no. They they didn't put those shitty paper covers with the book. They they hadn't got to the point of compiling. Oh, so then okay. Ah. Because yeah, no, I, no, I was thinking, just... like, imagine somewhere in North Carlton, there'd be three or four boxes of Dark Paper <laughs> Number One, still with a string around it, uh, yeah, and yeah. the shitty paper. Nothing like that. It'll no. still be yellow, yellow and cream pages, but it's. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what? What strikes me out of the, you know what you you're talking about there, Tad, is the level of commitment you had to be a creator in in that era. Like, like being a creator is so available to everyone now, whether it's. Mm. You know, on TikTok, YouTube, uh, whether it's through like um, Neville's talking about really accessible um, digital printing medias and stuff like that. So there seems to be not nearly as much commitment to your art as there used to be. That was kind of the filter (laughs) really back in those days was a, a great level of commitment and a slave to whatever you were producing to, uh, to manifest it into reality. But like, there's like this podcast from, from a a couple of, a few buffoons and how available is it to us to be able to produce something that exactly. half a dozen people listen to, you know? So, yeah. Oh, look, we can, we can, we can take, wind the clock back even further for the, um, uh, the, the technology, because back in the sixties, when Dr. Who was screening, people would hold their cassette recorders and their microphones up to the TV to um to because that was the only technology they had they couldn't get it on video they only got it on audio yep. and that's why there are some doctor who's yeah. where no no video exists but what they did was they did animation using audio that they yeah. managed to remaster from people who uh, who you know and and that that was the technology of then and the technology that there was when I was doing that first dark nebula book i'm going to frighten a few people by reminding them that back then we were using letra set and letra tone and repeated yeah, wow yeah that's pens, something you know? from like 1970 plus isn't it i yeah, remember exactly. letra sets you know with yeah. the little rubber it was kind of like a reverse scratchy you know you'd be that's right yeah, yeah. Yep. yep and if, and you, and know, if you got you one letter wrong you've you've rooted the whole shit yeah. And you've got to yeah. start again. Yeah, oh yeah. no, they, these days, you know, with all the fonts that there are, pick pick a font, pick any font. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, mind you, there what we were looking at doing a font of my lettering at one stage, but because I can't get the kerning pairs, it looked like a ransom note. It was like <laughs> it was It just didn't look like it flowed. And I it's like, a, oh, it's, it's also because on the on the sample text you wrote, "I have your child." So. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. I don't want to name drop, but do you know who I've spoken to who said they still do this? Exactly what you were saying, Ted. Ted, um, James O'Barr. So when he does his okay, art, yeah. he said, mm-hmm. he, he told me like he's only got this amount left in his studio. And every time he uses it, it becomes less and you can't get it anymore. So he mm. reserves it for like the once a year where he's really impressed with it, with something that he did, then he'll go bring it out and he'll actually use it because he knows that you can't undo it and you have less as a result. 
there's not an infinite amount. It's not fucking Photoshop. Mm. Oh, no, it's kind yeah. of paste. What are you talking about? Like lateral set. So, so when he, yeah, when he does, see, all of a sudden he's got to craft a storyline that doesn't involve as many T's and E's because he's used them all. <laughs> so what are you talking about? <laughs> this undead crow can only speak in. In the- <laughs> I wonder um, if that's how they got the name Berserker for um, Berserker, uh, yeah, yeah. Piano Reeves because they it. ran out of all the other letters, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was going to say that that's it's it's kind of like th- these are influences that shaped our generation. These adversities. I remember like uh, similar to the story you're talking about with Doctor Who. Back in the day, if we wanted a mixtape, we would be sitting there by the radio um, with our little, you know. Um, 80s boombox things to record off the radio and the art was not getting the uh, the DJ's voice in there and it would really shit you off when the DJ sort of spoke over the first part of the, the song you were trying to record. I don't know if you remember those days, Nev, but it was like... Been there, done yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I used to... I used to play blah, blah and it just... There it is, yeah. you know? I used to... You know, you had the double, double tape deck where you could like yes. play and record? Yep. Now we had my my dad had one of these fancy ass record players, right? So it had a record player. It's built into this wooden cabinet with the speakers and blah blah blah. And next to the wooden cabinet was these built-in radio slash amplifier with a single tape deck. But the problem is, obviously, you can t- record from a record to a tape, but you can't record from a tape to a tape. So I used to take one of those portable record cassette players that worked with uh, battery at the back. And I'd hold it next to the speaker <laughs> while I'm playing a record or a tape, and I'd hold it next to the other speaker, and I'd be recording from one me- one one radio to the other radio, and then you have to go like record pause, record pause, pause record <laughs> on two different yeah. machines. It was great. I mean, it's uh... well having having worked in radio um, for the be- better part of my um, professional life. Uh, I, I've seen technology come and go. I mean, I look back at the movie The Boat That Rocked. And I get very nostalgic because it's real-to-real tape machines. It's a fantastic movie. And through six degrees of separation, I can link myself to people who actually did pirate radio because I knew people who worked with people in pirate radio. But, you know, real-to-real tape machines, cartridges, um, of course, vinyl, um, big, huge cassettes and you know, and and the and the consoles they used. I I worked with a lot of that stuff because the same technology they were using in 1968, well 1966 or 1968, I was using in 1984, and I've seen all that t- technology get obsolete, and now everything's digital. Yeah. So yep. that's yeah. that's a stroll down memory lane. For Man, me. that's crazy. Yeah. Do you know? I do you know what? I, I, oh, go for it, Ben. Oh, no, I was going to say that every, everything I know about pirate radio, I learned from the goodies. Radio <laughs> <laughs> <Your> goodies. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> Sound of sensation across the motion. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's and good. Now it's time oh, for a walk in the black the forest. forest. <laughs> <laughs> so much of my, my early childhood understanding of things came from, like, the goodies or, or, or Kenny Everett. You know, um, that's another one. Yeah, yeah, everything that was on Channel Two, because that's what we had: Channel Two and I think Channel Ten or something like that. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, I Penny actually bought. <laughs> I, I bought a at an estate auction. I bought a reel-to-reel player, and um, since then, between Alan and myself, when we find actual the, the actual reels for them, we we kind of buy them up, right? And some of them have, um, like, you could buy them with stuff. 
But other ones, it's just a little cardboard box that says Johnny Cash live on ABC or something like that, you know. It, it's got all these awesome things, but I've never been able to listen to it because the actual player I bought, I think the band's fucked because it plays, but it goes like... So you can't listen to it. So I don't know if the tapes are wound too tight or it's a reel-to-reel player that's fucked. But at the same time, like I managed to get one to play and it's just two drunk dudes. It sounds like they're sitting in an apartment <laughs> and... They're talking about Chapel Street in the early 80s, where it's like, yeah, well, we just, so this is, this is the day. And what we want to talk about is we were walking down Chapel Street in like 1982. And, but they sound stoned as hell. So I really just want to listen to the rest of it. So <laughs> if anybody knows where I can get a fucking reel to reel player, that'd be amazing. Because, <laughs> um, because I love stuff like that, man. I love the old technology. I know, I know we've, we've come far and technology is convenient and everything, but the nostalgia that comes with something like that is just really cool, man. I, I really enjoy it. Hot tip. If you're looking for a reel to reel machine, it, it wouldn't hurt to hit up uh, some community radio stations. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they'll just have it in crates at the back? Well, quite possibly. I mean, yeah. that, whether it's something that they've got, something that was donated, something they're not using anymore. You'd be yeah, surprised. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. You, I, I think you're a real candidate for finding some of this archival stuff as well, Neville. It's been a bit in the news that lately where someone will, will turn up a dusty old um, yeah uh, tape reel. I think the last one was a a performance of the animals that no it is. It is. It was about yet. two weeks ago. It was on the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I love watching the news, right? So, so I saw that come yeah. up, and they said it is lost footage from a performance that's only been viewed once on the BBC. Yep. And it's actually BBC owned in, in Australia somewhere. That's great. I've got a very heartbreaking story for you. One of my friends, he's now the dealer principal of the Crago Mill in Bathurst. He used to work with Donnie Sutherland on Sounds Unlimited in the 70s in Sydney. And he, with the through the work that he did there, I, I did a, um, a special with him on community radio in Bathurst. Um, he, he, he actually got into the niche market of doing uh, music videos and he niche market. his his crew yeah. his crew did uh, such formative songs as Jamaica Rum April Sun in Cuba he did a yeah. whole concert with Marsha Hines he did uh, a 12 cam multi cam ACDC concert yeah. and they used tape for the whole thing and I'm getting to the the, the the heartbreaking part in a moment, but he, they did all of these uh, sound, you know, film video clips yeah. for all these songs. He even his crew even did uh, the Norman Gunston phony interviews where he ambushed people and you know, and he was he was embarrassing and would embarrass them. And uh, a lot of celebrities didn't. He was doing the Borat thing before Borat. Yeah. Anyway. Get, you know, so that they got into a lot of this stuff, and this all came out in this this cult fiction um, uh, edition that we did, and I've kept it for posterity because it's a bloody ripper. But the heartbreaking story is that with that twelve camera multi cam ACDC concert, yeah, obviously you can imagine that after they edited it together, there were like eleven other versions of it that could yeah. have existed, or multiples of that depending on which way it was cut or whatever so all the unused footage was just left in a shed and perished now could you imagine 
all the ACDC fans who would have loved to have got hold of that, if that stuff still existed, it's, painful, it's eh? like a, a, it's like n- not one bar of gold, but like a thousand bars of gold. Yeah, for the collectors. So yeah. this is yeah. very heartbreaking. Such a, such a common story, I think, across the media, especially through the '60s. But when when um, there was no perceived value to this type of thing, I I, I watched a documentary on on. Um, on Flying Circus, Monty Python's Flying Circus, and they had they had heaps of stuff that came so close to being just just destroyed, you know, and mm. and lost for the ages, just because it takes these these things take room to store, you know, um, mm. it, and it's not like digital media now where you can get a little something the size of a shoebox, yeah, and fit you know a hundred terabytes worth of data on it. The, each of these things, is, 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 you know, it's got a physical presence to it. And um, and so so much of the stuff you know was just thrown away and, yeah. and destroyed. And I think I think it, it's one of those things where, at the point in time when the technology becomes redundant, you value the space probably more than you value the the content. And you're like, oh, I can mm. I can fit five computers in this room that's taking up all these tapes. <laughs> so let's throw these tapes out yeah. and put the five computers. In. Yeah, and well, in, not in knowing BBC's- exactly what you're throwing out, right? Yeah, well, with the BBC's um, top 10 items that were missing from their library that were um, up up there at the top were things like the Doctor Who episode where um, William Hartnell transformed into um, uh, Patrick Troughton and also Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Now, my money's on people pilfering them. Oh, yeah, it's somewhere in a private collection there. That's right. And look, when when they were trying to get as much of the Trout and um, Hartnell um, Doctor Who's as they could. They, they offered an amnesty. They said, look, we don't, we don't know. We don't care if you can just let us have this for, you know, just so that we can do it. You can have it back and all of that. I think they did get some back. I know there was over 100 episodes between the two of them that just weren't available, and that number really narrowed down. But um, there's still a phenomenal amount of that, uh, that amount that, that you know, is just unavailable. And as I said, you know, people would, um, uh, th- they would say, well, let's, let's recreate this story using animation with this audio that dedicated fans at the time saved. And, you yeah. know, again, that was, the, that was the way of doing it. Then in the 70s and the 80s, it was VHS, of course. Then it moved to... Um, dvd and digital and whatever you know yeah um so yeah but amazing but yeah get getting back to comics with all of that yeah it's amazing now with with all the technology at our fingertips and one of the reasons why it is prime for me to finally get this dark nebula material out now is simply because of print on demand back in 2007 eh? i think it was i attended a supernova in sydney and i had copies of my color trades of dark nebula origins and the southern cross special edition those were the first two i rolled out now i turned up at at the supernova i was in artist alley and at the time everything had devolved to the point of people with their folded and photocopied mini comics they were trying to flog for five five dollars each that's right and that was that was the only technology they could conceive of doing it was only anything affordable right because at that point in time printing or analog printing scale to where you need to print ten thousand or five thousand people can't sell that right 
And well, that's right. But there I was. I turned up at this supernova with these books that could sit on a shelf alongside Gotham by Gaslight and Killing Joke and the like, and everyone on, on Artist Alley wanted FaceTime with me to find out how the hell I did this. They couldn't believe that an Australian yeah. uh, graphic novel has been released like that. And I was very giving of... Uh, it was not like it was a secret or I was trying to hoard the information i was happy to share that with everyone you know to say look i'm getting this done through print on demand it was through um kablam.com in florida and every copy that got printed got sold and i can tell you now that weekend i sold out of all stock of both books and the following year i rolled out the rest of them and that just showed it, it gave them i don't know it gave them a light bulb moment they they could see that they 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 didn't have to do these folded and photocopied mini comics. They could do something better. Yeah. You know, they were only limited by their imagination. And I think a lot, a lot of things turned around after that. And just like when I released that first graphic novel in 82 and when I was part of Cyclone in the, late, uh, in the mid to late 80s and early 90s, you know, we set the bar, we set the trend. And then again, releasing these colour trades, you know, that was setting yeah. the bar yet again. It was great to be there, you know, to be, uh, to, to continue to be a trailblazer in that respect. And it, it was not, wasn't like I was trying to hide anything from people. In fact, I thought the more people who, who may, took advantage yeah, of that, yeah. the better, because what helps one of us helps all of us. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm. And I'll pitch you an idea about, um, uh, it's a character that I'm thinking about. He's, <laughs> uh, he's, he's a South African guy. He's, he's from his homeland. <laughs> He loves barbecues and uh, <laughs> beer. Um, he can be a bit broody at times. I was thinking, you know, of calling it Dark Nebula. Um, <laughs> 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 That'd get beat up broody. by two other co-hosts. Yeah, uh, I've been that for five minutes now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but imagine, imagine going back in time to 1982 when you printed your first one, and you approached the printers saying, "You want this, but you won't." Uh, short print run with five different covers. They tell you just like right <laughs> off, right? <laughs> they would exactly, yeah. 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 Imagine but imagine actually, what yeah. they would have said. Imagine what they would have said. I've got saying, these oh, yeah. variants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The world, well, the world right changed, now though. with yeah. Well, right now with with Dark Nebula Ten uh, currently at Jeffries, that went off to um, Baden at Jeffries this morning. I can tell you now that um, You'll have it if I week, wanted yeah. to. Well, if I wanted to, um, the the print run that I I want, uh, if I wanted to have fifty copies each of Dark Nebulas one through ten, like replicas yeah. of one through nine, and then ten, I could have done that, and it would have been the same cost as just the one book with the three variant covers. Yeah. Well, that's right. But the the yeah. thing is, um, you know, um, you know, it's just nice that. There's that option there. I mean, as it is with Dark Nebula Ten, I'm getting, um, you know, I'm getting a certain amount printed, and we should. Um, I, I sent you, I flicked you those covers, Neville, if you want. Yeah, to yeah, I'll, I'll show it. Uh, Let's get stuck into the meat and two veg of this episode. Like you, you have it for a reason, right? It's been a big year for Dark Nebula. Yeah, you, you brought it back first time since 1991 that it sees print. Um, 40th anniversary. It's the second issue this year that's coming out with number 10. Um, and you've got the story storyline planned up to issue 15 at the moment. Is that correct? 
Well, actually, the material I've got lined up is probably 15, 16 or yeah. issues, 15, 16 or so. Yeah. The, um, the, the, the story for issues 11 and 12, that, that artwork has existed for quite a while. Not as long as number, number 10, because I've had that for 30 years. That would have yeah. to be the record for the longest that a, a story has sat in inventory uh-huh. anywhere on the planet. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'd like to see someone, uh, you know, show me show me a greater time frame before. Let's, let's, between... let's go. Let's go back one issue. So issue nine that yeah. came out in January, February of this year. What's the reception been? Have you found a new audience in it? Are other people chasing one to eight as a result? Is it <laughs> is it is it like old friends coming back and wanting to buy it and read it again? And how how's, how did it go? All of the above, yes. Um, I've had a lot of people clamoring for copies of number one, and I'll be looking in 2022 of doing a replica edition of issue one, because I've had a lot of people say, look, we don't mind getting a replica edition so we can have a placeholder that, you know, I've seen on eBay, there's been the, the odd issue one available and by issue one i mean issue one of the ongoing not the graphic novel the graphic novel effectively is dark nebula zero um but um so in in 2022 at some point we will be uh releasing a replica edition of number one which will be distinctive in in many different ways anyone who tries to pass it off as as the real deal uh anyone who buys into that well um buyer beware that's all i've got to say but you know it's not going to be like do you remember when marvel did that um really awful hardcover reprint of marvel comics number one it was the worst ever i've ever seen of any reprint because they they literally put different things in between the pages and everything all i wanted to see was just a replica edition that obviously had some indicia or yeah. whatever, and I would have been happy with that. And being hardcover, fine. That yeah. wouldn't have mattered as well. But they went too far. They they really, really goosed it up, and it was terrible. Yeah. I don't want to do that with this replica edition of number one. And, look, I, I don't have a desire to do replica editions of two up till eight because I'm seeing copies of those turn up time and again. Number one's the... The, the hardest of the lot yeah. to get what so, was your print run back in, back then what because obviously with a analog printing you would have had a minimum print run like a thousand yeah or... the minimum print run was ten thousand ten thousand was doable number one sold well number two had a slight dip and then for three four five i i noticed it, it had a steady decline but that was because of what NDD, that was the distributor, they had their formula that they sent everything out at. And I was, you know, I was looking at the dip and I said, look, I want to see these figures and I want to make changes if need be. They said, no, no, this is our formula and this works. I said, I'm the client. This is my book. This is what I want to do. Eventually, I got to see the the breakdowns and i went through and there were some news agents that sold no copies whatsoever and there were others that sold out completely and i said right i the client want this i want the ones that don't sell any copies don't send them anymore but the copies you don't send them send them to the ones that sell out i can tell you issues six seven and eight particularly seven and eight they sold the best 
because I stepped in. And the, the problems I had with them, you know, because there they were, meat and potatoes and very Philistine and all the rest of it. They didn't care. It was just something else they were whacking out on. Yeah, they on don't the, care about the end product that they're pushing. Of course they, they don't. Just, they, they, you know, they've got a cut they're, they're interested recipe, in their right? cut and all the yeah. rest of it. And effectively, that, that was my money being flushed down the dunny. Yeah. And you know you can you can appreciate that I didn't like seeing that. Well, I actually got all the Sydney returns, which is probably another reason why there are um, as many copies kicking around of issues um, two through to eight as the, as there are. In fact, seven and eight, I ended up sending copies over to New Zealand. That yeah. was how 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 many I got I had in the yeah. Sydney returns plus whatever I already had. And it sold well over in New Zealand. I can tell you that the Kiwis got the, the original Dark Nebula graphic novel because the Sydney Returns, they went to New Zealand and then um, seven and eight. But I didn't, I didn't try that with the earlier issues. I didn't think about it at the time. Um, but, yeah, that, there's, there's a lot of demand for the earlier issues, particularly number one. They're not um, easy to come by. Like, uh, yeah. No. Obviously, from my my own perspective, I'm retrospectively trying to find copies of that and Southern Squadron and a lot of the older series, or old by older I mean, you know, our Bronze Age in Australia. And you get lucky. Every he's now looking. And then. Nev, he's looking in the box to his right. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There we go. His yeah. cache. He has a cache. <laughs> he's got handy. Here uh, we go. But but, but you, you get lucky every now and then, but. You you can't just go to a shop and say, "Hey, I want these issues." So so they are becoming tougher and tougher to find, right? Oh, they Which, are definitely. For me, as a collector and as somebody chasing books, you earn a degree of respect for that because when you go to shops and you see two dollar books, it's always the same shit. Like the two little two dollar books that nobody wants, it, they'll be in abundance everywhere, and the ones that you're after, that's the, that's that's what makes that chase worth it. So. It, there's a degree of and a level of respect to to trying to track something down that is just impossible to find. Well, that's right. I mean, some of these books they are they're not the the hardest ones to get, but mm. they still uh, like for argument's sake, this one here. Um, that's my character, the grandstander on the cover. Um, yeah, that's you know, Southern, Squadron, Southern, Southern Squadron. Squadron Ten. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, these ones here. These are my uh, these are my reader copies of a lot of these books there we go jerry ordway cover there's my character the grandstander it's really cool yeah, yeah. in fact i've got a, an original uh, paul galacy piece it's a southern squadron cover yeah. um his his take on the southern squadron story uh crossover uh which was southern squadron 13 and of course it was just great that i got a paul galacy piece of yeah, something yeah. that most people didn't know and didn't really care for yeah and it had my character on the cover the golden age southern cross that's great man that was one that glenn lumsden and i created well i initiated it and glenn lumsden ran with the ball and and did a bloody uh, bloody ripper job of uh, breathing yeah. life into it and i said to him right this gives you co-creator credit you know yeah. and this was before people were starting to um say things like co-creator um marv wolf yeah and, that, and, that wasn't a term that existed what's his man. name um and uh um george perez with the uh you know new teen titans and things like that so yeah, yeah. No, i've uh, it's it's good that i've i've got those there and and just to really piss people off 
there it is. There's the white whale that a lot of people are chasing right now. Uh, Dark yeah. Nebula one. <laughs> uh, yeah, just post two. it to me. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> In small unmarked comics. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, right? They are they are in demand and there's a there there's a a strong australian collectors community who are focused around books like that and it's growing quite rapidly as people discover it and i think it is a kind of a tip of the hat to the the people who created it back then because um the what we've what we've covered up to now is the fact that it wasn't easy you know there's nothing easy about creating comics back then especially indie comics so to be able to have gone through all of that and still be going is it's really a, a good feat to yeah it's a good feather in your cap yeah well it's it, there's, so, there's no it, such thing as an industry and it, it really is a labor of love and if we're going to call it anything let's call it a community let's call it a guild yeah, Let, yeah. let's call it what it is uh, but yeah. the, but it's at the seat of it all is the passion to create the passion to release these things. Yeah. Incidentally, hot um, hot off the press, um, the last of my um, stash of Dark Nebula 9 is going up to Fats in uh, Queensland. They're, um, they're wow. the last, um, you know, the last of my stash of that, which is very timely because that'll be just prior to the release of number 10. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, I, I I probably will have to go back to the printers again w- with issue nine at some point. Probably as add-ons for um, hey, there it is. There's number number eight with that iconic cover. Number seven, yeah. That that Southern Squadron crossover that was that was just a ripper. Dave and I had a lot of fun putting that together. Yeah, I and mean, it was my initial, you know, my my actual basic plot, and I changed a few of the chess pieces around to accommodate the Southern Squadron. But yeah. when there were Southern Squadron pages, I said, Dave, this is you, go nuts. Yeah. And he really went to town on it, especially yeah. in that second one with the trap where they're in the well. Um, yeah. That's all, Dave. It was just great. He, he came yeah. up with that death trap for the Squadron. Yeah. And that, that really worked. So, yeah. yeah. That's um, cool. There's a lot so- of good memories with all of that. So, so you're um, you're saying so the last of your copies of number nine's off, and then it's done. So you, well, basically, I I I was sitting on a, a small stash of them. Not that I was yeah. sweating bullets or was in a hurry to move mm. them or anything like that. But um, uh, I was uh, in conversation with uh, Dion Adam uh, earlier today, and he asked me about them, and I said oh, I've probably got about you know twenty five copies there, and sure enough, there they are. And yeah. uh, he and Norm of uh, Nab, I've got to do the sign remark and all the rest of that, which which is fine. I I think I got that down pat with the ones we uh, did and which are now back from Halo. Um, yeah, you you've probably seen some of those smart remarks I put on that, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. are here pointing to Australia. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And and actually, those, yeah. T- talk about nine. Like, th- what a timely delivery to have been the photo i sent you today was the first batch of the dark nebula number nines coming back from grading um, well that's right yeah. the, the photo with the 10 of them side by side and mm. they look magnificent so so from a timing perspective the fact that you know we had pre-organized to catch up with you today the books arrived today and you're ready you've got number 10 at the printers so it's when, when gary challoner pitched this cover to me he didn't have to sell it very hard because that is obviously a homage to Captain Marvel, 
Yeah, my, yeah. I saw, I saw his bottom in the bottom. He actually signed it as a home homage as well. That's right, and it it wasn't a hard sell for me because Marvel, in many ways, to me, was one of the spiritual fathers for Dark Nebula. And if Marvel were to uh, return any calls, I could uh, tell them how they could bring back Marvel <laughs> without yeah. demoting Carol. There would yeah. be, you know, uh, and without invalidating his depth. Yeah. And you know, for for a guy who has been working on a character who starts after he dies, um, I think I've got that covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. True that. True that. Yeah. All right. But um, yeah, no. Issue ten. Honestly, I, I've it, it's been fantastic getting it together. As you're aware, there's um, been a few uh, little setbacks along the way. Yeah, but, it's moved moved publishers a bit and things like that. But um, well, that's right. And look, find a new no, house with no, Riviera, right? Well, that's right. And look, nothing sinister or um, suspicious about that. Oh. It's just things that happen, and 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 um, you know we've we've moved forward. I mean, it's not like there's any bad blood or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we finally got this out. And the best of, best of it is, and even though the Dark Nebula is my character, I do get by with not a little help from my friends, with a lot of help from my friends. Dave DeVries was very instrumental in helping keep the design and the quality for this book, the, the level yeah, that yeah. we needed it to be. Um, in fact, I, I wasn't even thinking, if you can just flick back to that other uh, Dark Nebula yeah. cover, the one with the pterodactyl. Yeah, just, just um, for, for people listening, I just brought up the issue 10 covers. So there's, a, there's one with the T-Rex and one with the pterodactyl. Yeah, that yeah. that uh, pterodactyl cover. I wasn't sure what kind of resolution it was, yeah. So because I was only going to use it as a well from the drawing board. Here's an alternate cover that we um, we, we we weren't going to use. And when Dave looked at it, he said, "Yeah, I can do something with that." And boom, instant yeah. cover. Just add water, and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's so great. at 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 this stage, Shane Foley's not aware that um, that that's coming. But it'll be oh, really? a nice surprise for him. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. Foley did both these covers, yeah. So it's he did, he did the covers and he did yeah. the uh the guts of it. Uh yeah. and look, no. dinosaurs in Tasmania is a change of pace. Everyone knows the Dark Nebula is a cosmic character, but I wanted to do a different sort of story, and I would like to think that people will find it as amusing as I yeah. as I did writing it, because there's a lot of humor in it. Um and there's one gag which is the gift that keeps on giving and yeah. i can't give away anything of it there oh, there is cool. a review that um steve saul did for I the saw you uh, posted comics. That today, yeah yeah now that it, that's a ripper uh, i sent him a preview of the story itself yep. so he could be well informed of it and so he did without giving anything away and i have to say hats off to steve for for doing such a ripper uh, review of Dark Nebula 10. And yeah. look, for a story that sat in inventory for 30 years, I would like to think that it's well worth the wait. Oh, that's great. Uh, because it, and, and you it, know what? Just looking at this image or both these images, mm, there's nothing yeah. about that that says small run independent independent comics, right? Every, it looks, it's looked quality, everything about it, it looks well rounded, well finished, well presented. It It's actually, you know, it's it's got international appeal. This is something that you could pick up anywhere in the world and you'd be like, oh, this looks great. Yeah. And, and well, it's, you, it's really well done. Actually, I, I, 
an interesting bit of trivia. When I launched the darknebula.com back in 2006, the same month as that Heroes and Villains exhibition in Victoria, um, that's when I actually unleashed the Dark Nebula on the international market. And I got a lot of fan mail, a lot of fan email from other cultures. I, I found I had a huge following in Italy as well as uh, a lot of the South American countries. It was oh, amazing really? how this primarily Australian character with the Australian sensibilities and everything, people, it resonated with people and it showed that it wasn't just Australian, it had universal appeal. And yeah. I appreciated that very much. Um, at one stage, I was part of a, an Italian um comic well you could almost call them italian grailies uh for want of a better term there was this this italian comic community who embraced me and again this is 2006 2007 or they were they didn't know any better <laughs> well that's right you know who knew but but it was great and i was able to promote my books and they were selling well through um uh kablam and indie planet at Florida, people would buy buy them yeah, routinely, yeah. and it was just nice, you know. That's great, man. So yeah, but I'm always picking up um, new fans, and it's it's nice. And I think a lot of people um, sit up and take notice of uh, of this stuff because I, I have to say that there was, you know, I guess you could say, well, it's 30 years on. Is it going to be as good as it was then? I'd like to think that it's it's gone that extra length. I mean, yeah, it's like a good way. I, I, I was worried that. I was, you know, I, I was going to let the side down. And when I look at the story, I'm, I'm actually quite proud of it. And that's great. And I say, when I say that, I'm, I'm looking at the story that's probably going to run in issues 14, 15, 16. And that's a story that I would like to think will define me as a storyteller. I've actually said yeah. that to Shane, that when, when he finally gets to completing the artwork for that, I would like to think that this is so, the story. So, which, so, are, are you that far ahead at the moment with the arts at the moment that you're starting to hit issue 14, 15, 16? So, we'll we'll have a level of continuity with these books coming out semi regularly, <laughs> like quarterly or every six months, um, in the ne in the near future. Yeah, pretty much. Well, next year is the Dark Nebula's 40th anniversary, as you know. Yeah. Um, yep. And and you, you've you've got to keep under your hat what you already know from your oh, yeah, uh, yeah. experiences at the Eagle Club. Yeah. When Dark Nebula 10 comes out and people open it up, the inside front cover ad will spill a lot of beans. Yeah. Something that you, you've been sworn to secrecy on, Nev. Yeah. That, I, and, I did say earlier that you know, there's a commonality happening, but I didn't say anything. So I'll leave. No, no, that's all right. It's Dark Nebula, isn't it? It is it Dark is Nebula. <laughs> It's, it's a drawing of me I'm, in a I'm borrowed I'm going to be a co-creator. Am I going to be a co-creator? <laughs> yeah, a co-creator or a pro-creator? Yeah, um, pro-creator. Yeah, boom, boom. Uh, but uh, seriously, that's going to show the, the level of what we're planning in 2022, which, yeah. by the way, will leak into 2023 for reasons that will become apparent when they open that inside front cover. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be... Well, there's going to be what's coming out in 2022, which leads into 2023, but that's separate to Dark Nebula's 11, 12, 13, and then 14, 15, 16. I'll say that uh, 14, 15, 16, I'm looking at getting those done by Shane 
um, after he has completed work on this other project. And then, you know, that's going to be, as far as I'm concerned, that's going to be the new benchmark. Yep. Uh, it's a story that I'm excited about conceiving and I'm just dying to get the audience uh, response to it when it, when it but, finally is released. But you know what? I think, I think long story short, the fact that, you know, after absence of almost 30 years, you're back with a bang and there's four, five, six issues on the horizon that's already planned, written and being drawn up. Um, that is exciting for any collector to know that, because can I tell you the reason I'm saying that is my frustration comes from the 90s where I read um, Battle Chasers or Crimson and there's like it just ends. There's no story end. It just doesn't come out anymore. And I think, the investment I think that, your that scares, and know that at least yeah, the stuff yeah, in the pipe work, you know. Yeah, and that yeah. scares people off. But but mm. looking at this and understanding that you know what you you're building something bigger and it's just going to become bigger and better and it's coming at you faster than before is a really really good story to have. So really good, man. Congrats on that. It, it, it's well, the, really exciting. The bottom line is we don't know how much time we've got to get these stories out. And I, I really believe that we need to make as much of an impact with each issue as we possibly can, because the, the, the more, the more that they hit the bullseye, the more likely people are going to come back for the next one. And that's very yeah. important. It's not like yeah. we've got the luxury of being, say, Marvel, who could say, oh, we'll, we'll just have people. You ride on the merits of the whole yeah, exactly. for yep. five years or yep. something like that. Yeah. You know, no, you, you've you're lucky be, if you get five issues. Yeah, you've got to be relevant to every issue, right? Yep. That's right. And that's why, actually, you know, the, the, the adjective that I've given the Dark Nebula is the dynamic Dark Nebula. And that's for a very important reason because, well, first off, you know, I loved that there was the amazing Spider-Man, the invincible Iron Man, the incredible Hulk and all of that. I wanted an adjective for the Dark Nebula. So I went with dynamic. And that's not just an adjective that just goes with the word dark. That's an adjective that describes what happens in the book. The dynamic always shifts and changes. Yeah. If I if I told you what I plan for one of the covers for Dark Nebula Twelve, and um, I was to say that it, um, oh, hang on, where's, uh, hang on, I might I might still have a, a copy of this uh, floating around here. No, it's just out. Of, it's just out of if, my. Reach if you wanted to make it truly Australian, it would be Dick and Balls. <laughs> 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 I like that. <laughs> oh, dear. No, there was um oh, there's a there's a book. Here it is. Yeah. Um everyone is familiar with um Dark Nebula 4, the um wrap up to the Chaos War. Well, <clears throat> issues eleven and twelve is the sequel to the Chaos War, and one of the covers I've got in mind for that, which I've actually penciled. And I'm going to get someone else to ink it. Um, it's going to be a companion to that cover, and nice. I'm I'm very yeah. excited with how I've conceived that cover, and it'll be nice to see how it turns out in the execution. Oh, so well, that book ends 35 years apart or something, yeah. Well, that's right, and and that's mm. and that's not a bad thing either. People no. will go, "Wow, it's been worth sticking around for this." And again, you know, when I do a sequel. I like to make sure that it's not trotting out the same elements the same way as the first. In other words, you know, how it used to be with sequels, you go, oh, Jesus, are we doing this again? No, I, I, I shake things up 
and even though it, it's it's got a lot of the same elements it it, it goes a different way which which is important too so and this is this is all part of my planning moving forward I, I know that a lot of people talk about world building, but I remember Gary Chaloner once said, you're not just world building, you're universe building. And I said, yeah, I suppose I am. Uh, because the Dark Nebula glides between superhero, science fiction, the supernatural, and in fact, in some cases, just plain out horror. Yeah. He can, yeah. He can move throughout all those genres because of what his, um, what his mission is, which is, he is a champion of life created by death, and he um, and he has access to the well of souls. I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. It is really exciting to see the. It's kind of a renaissance or reactivation of interest in the wider community of Australian comics. And I'm not talking just about Dark Nebula. I'm talking about you know what the Revere books, what, what's happening there. I'm talking about the way the Killaroo Kickstarters are going and things like that, there's a greater awareness of or greater trust in quality in Australia about local content. And I think, you know, what, what you are doing with Dark Nebula and um, what, what I know is going to happen in the next year or two that you guys have told me is really fucking exciting. So um, tell those stories and tell them hard, man. I, I really look forward to what you guys are doing. Well, we will. And actually, yeah, the other night, one of my um, key inspirations is, you know, I'll, ha I'll actually have a dream that inspires me to come up with a story. Well, I was talking to Gary Della um, not long after I, I had the dream and I said, look, I got this idea for a torn story and I told, I pitched it to him and he just loved it. And I said, look, I don't want to just do this on my own. I want to work with someone. I actually suggested Rob Lyle and, um, Anyway, this, this I said to him, look, you know, all all the stories I'm doing are dark nebula stories, but it doesn't mean that it this has to be a dark nebula story. In fact, I think it'd be good if it was a torn story. And and when I when I told him the idea, he thought, wow, you know, let's let's do that, you know. Yeah. yeah. So and and it gives me a chance to collaborate because uh, um, this is not telling tales out of school. There is a mini series that'll be coming in the later part of next year um, with uh, the characters of. A dark nebula and torn and torn is going to be in dark nebula sandpit off world um, that's all i'm saying about that and i i get to um uh, collaborate with hayden spurrell as well as um uh ben uh doing the artwork on it ben, uh, you ben drawing? sullivan oh. oh look i i do put um you know ink on paper yeah. every once in a while <laughs> yeah but you know that, oh, that's probably, probably a different ben that's that's okay yeah that's no ben sullivan um oh ben yeah. sullivan yeah of course yeah no and um and look that's going to be exciting and that's me working with uh, with young turks which is great um you know i um i, I literally worked on the, the the conceptual side of it and hayden's going to be doing a lot of the hard yakka as well as Ben and the jazz to be working with me, which is great because I, I like working with uh, creators young and old. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you get to consider I, yourself an elder statesman of Australian comics now. So with uh, membership yeah. come the privileges, don't that mate, where you are. Um, well, that's right. You, you get Actually, other people to do the hard work and you're the, back you're in the, the guiding days, light. <laughs> back in the days when there were um, mm. uh, websites with message boards about um, comics here in Australia, I think I was talking. Old faction, old faction. I remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah. Those. Anyway, 
Oztaku, they said, oh, you know, we're going to have this thing down at um, down in Victoria. It'd be great if we had some, you know, some older creators uh, join us. And I was curious to see who they defined as uh, older creators. And this was 15 years ago. I was in their 30s. <laughs> just remember, this was, uh, this was over 15 years ago. Yeah. And I thought, I'll just find out who they meant. And they, and they were talking about my vintage. And I thought, yeah. well, you know, what's stopping me from going down there for this? And I, I went down and attended a couple of these so that, you know, there was, you know, it, it was just something where, you know, an old fart went and joined all the new farts. And uh, I got to meet a lot of the uh, current creators at the time. In fact, I remember one of the guys who uh, demanded FaceTime with me at that supernova I, I was talking about with the, uh, the Dark Nebula Origins and all of that um, when I... I surprised the hell out of everyone that supernova he came and he wanted the face time to find out how the hell did i put out these bloody color graphic novels you know so um yeah i was considered an elder statesman then uh, and by extension that also includes gary challenger dave devries and glenn of Lumsden, course. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a good, it's a good it's good company to be in right? it's good company to be in. well that's right and it's and it's good but because we again we were trailblazers then and we are all out there, you know, doing something. I mean, Glenn's doing his work for Fru, for Phantom, doing his covers and writing stories and all that. Um, Dave has been working with me on Dark Nebula, and there's more, trust me, there's more coming from Dave in uh, during this next 12 months. And uh, Gary Challoner is um, uh, hard at it with uh, Adventure Illustrated yeah. and, you know, putting out, you know, breathtaking artwork, stuff that you just think to yourself, wow, isn't, wouldn't this be lovely? In fact, um, while I think of it, uh, do I have this book here? I, I, will, I will say without word of a lie, and this was a great gift from Gary uh, when, I, when I attended the first um, Perth Supernova. Gary gave me the original artwork to that cover. Oh, that's cool. It's one of my pride and dreams. And when's that from? That. Like nineteen Cyclone Seven, and that was, um, yeah. I think, nineteen eighty-seven from yeah. memory. Yeah, that's good, man. Uh, that's good. So yeah, um, but um, you yeah, know, I, I, yeah, it was just, it's lovely to have little things like that uh, yeah. in in my um, library, my collection. Yeah. So All right. yeah, oh look, it it's been amazing to chat to you. Um, I just got to wrap this up with one question and ask how how did a hack get into doing a cover of a Dark Nibbler ten? Now that's interesting, and I and I know this, the answer as well as you do. Um, you did this while you were in lockdown. Yes, and look, it's and also a, it's I drank a, a lot, so it was very fitting. Well, there you go, Piston singing out mm. now on KTEL. Um, <laughs> but honestly, um, when when you put that together because you, you said oh what do you think i should do i said well why not a homage to demon in a bottle which is what you did and given that it's been a tough year for all of us with all of us in lockdown coming out the other end of it i thought well what's stopping me from running this as a cover for dark nebula and the grayleys just responded in resounding numbers yeah yeah and yeah, the, the promotion we've done for Dark Nebula 10 has, has um, gone gangbusters, which I'm, I'm grateful for because that goes a long way to um, 
covering the print bill for the and board. you know what that's what the intent of it was for, since day one right when we discussed it we're like you know we can mm. bring up something that's a little bit different that australian comics haven't seen before that could be dedicated to the grail hunters group and um you know, it might not be. It, it might be a little bit off theme to the actual content of the 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 co- comic, but I think the fact that you've paid homage to a classic cover in asking me to do this, um, it's been crazy, crazy good. Um, obviously, I'm over the moon to have been able to do it for you. Um, yeah, no, look, no, and uh, no, I appreciate it. It's come out like so, I say, I, I really think good. it's important to work with uh, creators old and new. And believe me, when it comes to remarking this, boy, do I have some river lines for it. <laughs> the, the dialogue between these two, it's, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to, um, you know, I like to show people that I, I don't take the whole thing that seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because in the end, it's a comic. It is. Is that it a is. demon banana in your pocket? Or <laughs> 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 well, you're just enjoying the show? Yeah. That's right. uh, uh, look, uh, and, and from my perspective, you know, being able to to do a little bit of something to, a, you know, with a character and a storyline that's been going for like 40 years now, um, it 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 was great. It's an honor to be able to do that. So I'm I'm glad you you approved this <laughs> when I sent it through. Um, no, it's it was humbling, but it, I really appreciate well, it. Well, Dave DeVries said uh, I should send a copy to Bob Layton, which yeah. I'm going to do. I'll, I'll I'll drop Bob a line, and uh, hopefully he'll get back to me. And I just want to uh, send him a copy so that he can, you know, he can have a chuckle. I'll, yeah. I'll even remark it with with one of my um, one of my cheesy lines that I'm going to put on the uh, <laughs> on the uh, copies that that are going to the the various Grailies as well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so so we're pretty much at 50 copies right so uh, and I, I i i've no doubts once you know i know you've got it at the printers now once they're done and dusted those 50 will be all claimed anyway um so it's it's good to have and i'm glad I'll to be part of it. for a copy absolutely see i've i've, I've this one slipped slipping nev you know i didn't realize this was your work so yeah yeah uh, yeah i have to add it to my collection of uh three <laughs> three copies <laughs> <three going. laughs> now you're four <laughs> but anyway man, well, the other yeah. two are barbie comics aren't they? <laughs> they, they are indeed <laughs> Uh, yeah. So this could be dark Ken then, right? <laughs> dark Ken. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we go any further, though, because I'm, I'm, I really want to um, drill back into um, what Tad was saying. I, I need you to tell us the story of the greatest fail. <laughs> the seventy dollar lotto ticket you bought off Gumtree was it Gumtree Marketplace? Wasn't it Marketplace? Um, we haven't even talked about it yet. The, because you've had a lot of luck in recent years with buying framed comics from the states, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. so what's the story behind? Well, was it? Well, oh, that's the thing, right? So, I was gonna, I, I was gonna try and get it in the picture. I'm just gonna give a recap to people who listen to the podcast who's not on the page. Um, I have had a lot of luck buying framed comics. Um, especially in the USA where people perceive it to be prints or pictures in a frame. Um, and I thought, well, you know what? I saw this on Gumtree. Oh, not Gumtree, Marketplace. And it's Amazing Spider-Man number one, right? It looks like it. It's in a bag. Check it out, Ted. It's literally mm. in a bag. Yeah, right? I saw the post, yeah. Uh, and, and it's got a little plaque, and the plaque's engraved, and it says Amazing Spider-Man 1962, and that's part of it. So, like, 
somebody's gone a very awfully long way. It's got a date stamp on the cover. It's got somebody went an awfully long way to to preserve a comic and show it off with a little plaque that says it's Amazing Spider Man, and um, he wanted sixty five bucks for it. And I'm like, I could ask him to check if the comic's in there. I could ask him, is it a comic? I could ask him. Um, <laughs> what's in there, all that type of stuff. But I'm also also concerned, quite concerned that that those inquiries will lead any seller to be like, ah, why is he asking these questions? And then start Googling (laughs) it or then rip it apart and ask 20K. So I'm like, fuck it. You know what? 65 bucks. I'll get get something out of it. I'm just going to say sold and I'll pick it up. And as luck would have it, I did. He was asleep, so I thought I missed out on it. And he said, oh, look, I just woke up. I work night shift, so it's 4 o'clock. Come pick it up, and it's yours. Um, so I went to go pick it up. He wasn't home. So I actually, it was by his front door, just standing there. And he's like, oh, just, wow. leave, them, just leave the money under the mat. <laughs> so, so I'm like, well, I, I've got, he said 65. I've got a 50 and a 20. I'll give him a $5 tip just in case it's real. <laughs> so I left him 70 bucks under the mat, took it to the car. And uh, yeah, we didn't even pull away. We, we just, I got in the car and I started disassembling it to try and figure out what's in there. Um, but it ended up being a comic sleeve with a backing board with two different photocopies of the cover. So said so that one and that one was mm. in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so unfortunately, it wasn't the real thing. But you know what? It's a type of thing that I will try 10 out of 10 times because it's paid off before. Yeah. I've got to, mm. um, action comics from 1939 for $9 in this in this way. So you know what? It's fucking, you know, it is what think, it is. I think so. the important thing to recognize here is, is what you felt during this journey. And was that worth $65? I would argue yes. Yes, it was. You know you what? Know? We were driving because it, <laughs> it's an hour and 10 minutes from my house. We were driving there. It was the yeah. longest hour and 10 minutes because I knew other fuckers on, in Melbourne, yeah. like Carl Villar, like a yep. few of the other guys. I knew yep. there was going to be a few of them that's going to be all, all over this guy. So by yep. the time I got it, got in the car, drove home, logged onto Facebook, and they already posted that they just missed out on this. <laughs> That's so funny, man. That is, I saw that, that, is, yeah. that is worth 140 bucks. I've already made my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I think, so, so I actually ended up carefully putting it back together as a nice memoir of, uh, really, of time so, well spent because it's the promise of what you can get from it, right? Be, be what I would probably do, given a man of, you know, it's a good story, you know, and it's a nice little, little um, yeah, uh, souvenir to have as, as part of the story. But I would, I, would, I would write a little letter about this story, I would stick it in there, right? And then I would resort and hope that this is long. And the next guy opens it up and he gets my letter with a long Yes. And then the chat Mm. continues, at least. And then it would be, by the way, you really should join Growl Hunters. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, there you go. Advertising that pays itself. Yes. Somebody just paid 70 bucks to join trailers. It's going to be five yes. bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. oh no. Look, it Actually, was. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, back in the 70s, I bought a mint Amazing Spider Man number one for, um, I think it was 30 or 60 dollars. 
and I won't I wouldn't call it near mint. It was mint, and I had that for five years. Um, sold it for three hundred. You know, a few years later. Um, Thought and, you were the smartest man on the planet, I bet. <laughs> well, you know, if I yeah. uh, if I'd known you know what I know now, I wouldn't I would never have parted with it. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I've I've actually got two nine point fours minor restoration. Um, and for me, that's that's good enough. I I got because they're, you know, because they were trimmed. Um, you know, people turn their like noses up at them. Normal, right? Mm. Yeah, but look, you know, they're nine point fours. As far as I'm concerned, that's money in the bank. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, and I got that before everything blew up. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I got these back bef- around the time of the global financial meltdown. So anything yeah. I make off them is just pure and it's only really started blowing up. Like it, it's it's been going up and up and up the last twenty years, right? Um, in in context of value, uh, but it's only really started blowing up in the past five or six years, and literally even the past twelve to eighteen months, the prices have doubled. Man, I think we're seeing yeah. that that realization of value that we've had in golden age for years we've seen that now in silver age and these books they'll just become unattainable they'll become to mm. get to the point where people are already trading one page from amazing yeah. fantasy for three or four thousand dollars you know it's it's oh, gone actually, gone other days where you're gonna just find it on the cheap let's let's not forget the best ebay listing the staples from an amazing <laughs> fantasy 15 mm. that was priceless mm. uh, i wished i'd kept um you know like a snip kept, of it kept a, yeah. Yeah, for, yeah for yeah for posterity you know yeah. yeah like yeah and i could turn around and say yeah well i've got the staples from a, yeah. uh, an action comics number 1 from 1939 <laughs> so. i do it's, yeah. it's just it's so hard to especially if you're a trader in mind the the temptation to 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 realize the capital in something. It's just so tempting, isn't it? That if you ever thought about like selling something, the hardest thing in the world to do is buy something when it's at its lowest and sell at its highest, you know, mm. like, like we just don't have that type of perception. Give, give you me also, an example. You don't like, have the foresight as to when nah, the nah, highest nah. is. If you I, asked I bought, me a year ago, yeah. I'd say, yes, it's the highest now. And it's yeah. already proven me wrong. Yeah. Like a yeah. lot of those books are just eclipsing yeah. the values from a year ago. Yeah. Remember that little silver Supra I had, Neville? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. The Titus Supra. I, I bought that for like seven grand and I thought I was doing excellent at selling it for 15 grand. Yeah. And then a mere 18 months later, it's like 45 grand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's, wow, you know the opportunity the 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 stuff you leave on the table but i guess as long as you're moving forward yeah you can't that, you that can't offer, have yeah. Scripts, yeah and you know yeah. what i didn't unlike ted i didn't sell that neoman spider-man one but i sold a lot of shit to fund my drinking habits in my 20s mm-hmm. first first saw the surfer first blue beetle a lot of stuff i took it to book exchanges and sold it i educated them on over street and said this is the value and then they gave me a portion of that and i'm like yeah i'm winning they winning whatever but um yeah i you can't regret it because you you made a life choice and i probably enjoyed the alcohol that night so that was all right mm. <laughs> yeah well that, that yeah. amazing uh, that amazing spider-man number one uh, that was the year my dad died and i needed the money to um 
help get through that year while we were sorting his estate out. Believe me, I didn't want to pass. That's a, that, it's but... a lot more somber oh. than my story. Yeah. <laughs> it's going, but, it's yeah. getting fucked up for six months. <laughs> anyway. yeah. Oh, sorry to you. So, <laughs> no, you're right. Um, what, are you, what are you collecting at the moment, man? Uh, is there anything you're actually chasing or collecting? Or uh, are you literally just sitting on a pot of gold with all the comics you already have, not worrying about? Oh, look, there are always books I'd love. In fact, I know we're doing the uh, the t- 25 days to Christmas, and yeah. you might see that I, I put a bit of a spin on it as well. Apart from the ones that I've got, I decided I'd also put up 25 books I, I would like for Christmas. And that <laughs> includes stuff like Creepy, Eerie, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, all of those books, Famous Monsters from Filmland, um oh what else uh the the first appearance of fing fang foom yeah you name it i mean there, there's a lot of eclectic stuff there but as for what i've got look if i had to stop tomorrow i mean I, sitting on what i've got i'm i'm quite happy with that because i a few years ago i went back and i got all the dell and gold key tarzans yeah, yeah. and that's that's some nice golden age books there um, I, I'd really like to do a deep dive into the golden age with Marvel and DC, but forget it. That's just that. That's that's another uh, level altogether. It's a different ball so, game at the moment, eh? No, at the moment. Well, that's right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the, some of the ones I've got, which you know, I'd like to fill out later. I mean, I managed to get um, Strange Tales one, uh, Journey into Mystery. I think I got Journey into Mystery one to four, something like that. But you know, there's a lot of gaps in those in those runs. I I wouldn't mind getting, and of course, a lot of the westerns. I've got um, Rawhide Kid. I think one to three, Kid Cult Outlaw one and two, and um, Two Gun Kid number one. But there's a lot of books there that I, um, I I simply don't have, and I think well maybe someday. And look, you know, but are you actively chasing any of them, or are you just waiting to? No, no, no. I guess it's more opportunity than anything else. Uh, And some of the things that I've managed to um, secure recently, they're just they're just books I I I just wanted to fill gaps of. In fact, Mm -hmm. I I was going through my recent Marvels because effectively my Marvels finished at about 2014, and then I sort of resumed some titles. And I'm one of these people who likes to have the full run of say ff spider-man avengers all of that and i went through and i looked at what i was missing between 2014 and now and just some of that stuff i've been able to plug those gaps and look yeah i'm not i'm not uh lying awake at night going oh i still don't have this recent thor or that recent captain marvel or that recent moon knight look i get it when i get it simple as that in the meantime you know if i if I really want to read something really nice, I'll, I'll pick up the first appearance of Captain Atom or whatever, because, you know, those things I got years ago, long before uh, Steve Ditko passed away, who, by the way, it was, uh, you know, even though Steve didn't really know that, he was officially my mentor because I, you know, I, I, I follow, uh, let's just say that, you know, when a lot of people say they're Kirby fans, sure. I like Kirby and Ditko, but I like Ditko first, Kirby second, okay. and that's just that's me. different, yeah, yeah, it's different because every, everybody yeah. everybody goes Kirby first. So well, that's right. And look, I was fortunate enough to get a couple of letters from Steve just before he passed away. So yeah. for that, I'm grateful. I'm glad glad I got over my my fear of how do I get in touch with him. 
found out and managed to do that before he passed away. Yeah. And um, actually, the, the, the main reason I wanted to send that to him was one of my books had the big um, wrap-up fight scene in a Ditko dimension. That's always the way it was going to be ever since I conceived the story. And I wanted him to see that I plagiarized so many backgrounds <laughs> out, of, out of Doctor Strange. But he and he thought it was great, you know. He he just really really appreciated it, and you know, yeah, it's a degree of a tribute to him too as well. Well, and, that's right. And, and from what I've heard, I mean, there's a few guys on Greylancers who have had experiences in communicating with him, and uh, you know, have letters from him and stuff. And it just sounds like a nice dude who kind of wanted to be left alone, but at the same time likes being acknowledged for what he's achieved um well that's right yeah and looking at looking at the the value he brought to characters like spider-man and those guys it's it's going to be it's timeless it's timeless well in a way i i can say that the way i i i view things i like how he let his work do all the talking for him Mm. and that's the way i like to be i mean sure you know i've i've got to um get up and uh, grease the wheel so to speak a few years ago, I did a, um, a mini documentary uh, when I was doing a course at TAFE, The Death and the Life of the Dark Nebula, which, by the way, is on YouTube. And I, effectively, what I wanted to do was put something together that did all the talking for me. So, you know, it's, it's, and it's a great business tool for me. I mean, I've got my fridge magnets, which is my first business tool. But then when I put out that documentary, it connected the dots. It, it touched on all of the... Um, all the social impact uh, aspects of the Dark Nebula and the music that was playing in the background on that documentary was by a dance music performer who lives at Byron Bay who calls himself Dark Nebula. No way. Where did he get the name from? Yeah. No, he he picked up one of my comics and it's like Ryan Mannix when he um, came up with the Uncanny X-Men, picked up a comic, said that's our name. Uh, yeah. And you know, and Marvel most... will sue us when we're we're successful, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, look, you know, th- th- there was there was never that problem because they they never ventured off the shores, I don't think. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, most acts that take their names from comics, they take them from corporate owned comics, whereas mine, of course, is privately owned. Me, yeah, exactly. So yeah, but you know that. But you know, when there was the heroes and villains exhibition at the state library of victoria um they used the dark nebula as that was their that was 2013 14 yeah no that was 2006 2006 did they have it again because yeah. i i don't I know, know if they did they've had something similar but I, but oh, that, okay that's probably after yeah. that Gonna wrap it up there. Thanks so much. Yeah, pleasure, us, pleasure speaking to you again, Tad. Right? It's been it's been too long since our um, state of origin stuff. So always yeah. great to catch up and um, uh, great to great to hear what you've got on the horizon, man. It's ex- it's exciting times. Well, you know, you know me, so, weddings, uh, parties, anything. You know, yeah, on absolutely. <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll I've, be looking seen, forward I've, to uh, Dark Nebula in uh, sometime in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just be the beer cozies. <laughs> yes, that's, oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Tad. Really appreciate it, man. Have a great day. No worries, guys. Man, look forward soon. to seeing them in print, man. <laughs> great chatting. And that is a wrap. Thanks again for listening. I'm going to leave you guys with Mars by Torrential Thrill. Have a ball. Enjoy. And as always, provide a review, subscribe, follow, and provide us feedback. We'd love it. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.